At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Well, this has been a big weekend for sports. If you are uh, a basketball fan in particular, I was so impressed last night by the three-point contest that I got inspired. I I got dressed. I told my boys, let's get dressed. We're going down to Lifetime so I can relive a dream. And I got down there and uh, was on the basketball court for about uh, 45 minutes to an hour, and I was humbly reminded of the fact that God called me to be a priest preacher and not an NBA player. But a lot of things have happened over this weekend that are already unusual, like last night, seeing a seven-footer win three-point contest. That was uh, pretty unusual. Well, today, we get a chance to look at an unusual uh, text of Scripture. We're going to go into the book of Jonah, and nothing in Jonah is as it should be, it seems, except for the consistent love of God. Jonah is a book that I think is the most relatable prophetic book that uh, many uh, of us will ever uh, really get a chance to read or ponder. Jonah is the book about a man who got uh, an assignment from God that he didn't want to do. Anybody ever been there before? God is wanting you to do something and you just flat out don't want to do it. Maybe it's to forgive someone. Maybe it's to stay in a tough relationship. Maybe it's to uh, serve him in a way that you don't want to serve him. Well, if you've ever been in a place where you heard from God or felt the Lord leading you in a particular direction and you ran the opposite way, today's your day. This is your message. Jonah is your book. But at the heart of Jonah is this theme, this theme about fear and and how powerful fear is. Fear is something we don't talk enough about. Fear is actually a really, really good uh, thing or force in our lives when it helps us, in particular, when it helps us not to sin. I tell my kids all the time, growing up, there were a lot of bad things that I didn't do. And about 25% of the reason why I didn't do it is because of my love for God. But about 75% of the reason why I didn't do the bad things I didn't do is because of my fear of my mom. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, How many grew up in a generation like me where uh, there was still the fear of authority and respect for authority and parents? How many want that to come back. Those were, those were good days, right? And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but a lot of it is true. I knew I had to deal with my mom and dad if I ever got out of line. Well, not only do we need the love, respect, and fear of parents and authority to return, we need the fear of the Lord to return. Let me just give you one verse on this. Go with me real quickly to Proverbs chapter 1. You may be in Jonah, but just leave your finger there. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 1 or scroll in your mobile device there. And it says in verse number 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's pretty clear there that Solomon, the Proverbs writer, one that was considered to be the wisest man in his generation, understood that the beginning of a life that is uh, marked by fruitfulness and flourishing is the fear of God. It's not until we learn to fear God that we begin to make right decisions. 
Because it's when we fear God that we begin to make current decisions in light of eternity. It's when we fear God today that we make good decisions because of that day. Because we know one day I'm going to have to stand before him. And so fear of the Lord helps me to make decisions that are going to bless me both now and into eternity, which makes me a better decision maker, which gives me a life of wisdom, blessing, and flourishing. But what does it look like to fear the Lord? That's what we're going to talk about today. What does a person who fears the Lord look like? What does it mean to fear God? Let's go to chapter one of Jonah and thank God for uh, Pastor Steve who kicked us off last week. And if you were with us last week, you would have heard Steve uh, reference the first three verses of Jonah that introduces us to this uh, runaway, renegade, and rebellious prophet. Verse number one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it and go uh, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I won't recap all of this, but I'll simply say that Nineveh was about as evil of a city and a group of people that you would ever meet. They were the Nazi regime of their day, and the blitzkrieg of military power was what they used to advance and to conquer lands. They were the ISIS of their day. They were a global threat to the known world, and no one liked them because of how vicious they were. And here God is saying to Jonah, I want you to go and preach and proclaim to them my judgment. Jonah runs the opposite way. And what's really interesting about all of this is that Jonah is a man who knows God, acknowledges his sovereignty, but somehow has convinced himself that I can pay a fare, get on a boat, and get away from the presence of God. It seems foolish on the surface. But then I ask myself, how many times have I tried to convince myself that I could get away from the presence of God? How many times have you convinced yourself that maybe by opting out of going to church, you could get rid of this, this God relationship? That, that maybe by not doing your ministry calling that you could escape God? Maybe by leaving a relationship that somehow you can walk away from your family or your marriage or your kids and escape God. Let me just say this, you may run from God, but you can never get away from him. Because even when you run from him, he chases you down. Jonah needed to be reminded of what the psalmist said, where can I go to flee from your presence? There is nowhere where we can go to flee from the presence of God. You got to remember God has all these attributes. It starts with omni or all, everywhere. He is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. He is omniscient, meaning he knows all things. He's omnipotent, meaning he has all power. But what we're going to also see here, and we need to praise God for this omni, he is omni-benevolent, meaning that he is all loving and good. And even when I run from him, he is merciful to me. Who fears the Lord? What does it look like to fear the Lord? Well, verses 4 through 8 help us to see that one of the qualities of fearing the Lord is, is that if you fear the Lord, you'll, you'll be a person who seeks God with your questions. 
I love the way verse number four starts in contrast to verse number three. Verse number three starts, but Jonah. Verse number four says, but the Lord. Jonah had his plan, but how many thank God that, that, that the Lord had his plan? You may have your plan. If this was a book on the life of Chris, verse three would say, but Chris. Verse four would say, but the Lord. You insert your own name. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the uh, mariners or sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? This is an interesting text for so many reasons. If you're keeping count at home, maybe you've noticed that four times now in this short story or introduction, we are told that Jonah went down. He went down to Joppa. He paid a fare to get on a ship. He went down to the bottom of the ship. He laid down there. In other words, Jonah keeps going down. And so do our lives when we are running the opposite direction of God's will. Don't expect to be blessed. Don't expect to flourish because when you are running away from God's will, your life will keep spiraling down. But why was Jonah going down, down, down? It's because he wanted to be hidden, hidden, hidden. He didn't want anyone to know who he was. But you see, your rebellion, my rebellion is never a private matter. When we rebel against God, it not only brings trouble to our lives, but it brings trouble to the lives of others. If I were preaching a different sermon, I would say, who's the Jonah in your life? Because some of you, the problem is not your rebellion, but you've got hooked up to the wrong person. You got hooked up to a Jonah. Watch out to Jonah with cute faces. Watch out for Jonahs that have nice smiles. Watch out for Jonahs that are job opportunities that pay a whole lot of money. Watch out because Jonah comes in all shapes and sizes. But when we connect ourselves to something that's not the will of God, it not only affects us, but it affects everyone connected to us. There was a storm that swept through that didn't just affect Jonah, but it affected all those that were on the boat accompanied by Jonah. But what's amazing about this story, if you haven't noticed already, is that nobody's behaving the way you expect. The prophet is hard-hearted, and these pagan sailors are tender towards God. At least they want to know what God is up to. At least in their struggles, they take their questions to the Lord. This is one of the ways we know we fear God, is where do you go when you don't know where to go? Where do you go with your questions? They didn't know how to navigate this storm. And and these aren't amateurs. These are professional sailors. So this must have been 
quite the storm. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know where to go in this season of their life. But notice that they didn't look up. I'm I'm sorry, they didn't look in, rather. They didn't look down, but they did look up. They looked up to God. And what our culture teaches us is that when we have questions, to look inward. But I just want to say, brothers and sisters, we are finite. That means we don't have all the answers. And if you're going to look inward, you're going to often walk away with confusion. And you certainly shouldn't look down. To look down means to give into the nihilism of our moment, to give into the despair of our moment, to give into hopelessness. But when you look up, there is a chance for rescue. Notice what they said. They said in verse number uh, six, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper arise, call out to your God? Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now notice right now, there is an an ignorant seeking after God. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They simply didn't know which God was real or true. It was kind of that buckshot approach that many of us take in in today's culture. Well, there's so many religions. How can we know which one is true or real? So just pray to all of them. Believe in all of them. At the end, all dogs go to heaven, don't they? That's not what the Bible teaches. Bible teaches there is one God, creator of heaven and earth, and that he has revealed himself through one mediator, his son, Jesus, who has come for us, who lived a perfect life, who laid down his life so that we might live. All answers, all answers are found in the cross of Christ. How many thank God for the blood and thank God for the cross? That's why we sing of it. But they knew enough to call out to God. So while Jonah was going down, they were looking up. While Jonah's life was spiraling down, their relationship with God was just beginning. They took their questions to him. There are two big questions in life that you and I need to continually process. Maybe the two most important questions in life, no matter what season you find yourself in. Question number one is, what in the world is God up to? Question number two is, how in the world should I respond? Have you been asking yourself that lately? Because if he is all the omnis that I mentioned earlier, that means he is in control. To say that he is sovereign means this, that he is not just God over our good times. He is not just a God of the mountaintops. He is not just a God of promotion and prosperity and blessing, but he loves us enough to be the God of the storm as well. David put it this way, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He's the God of the mountain. He's the God of the valley. He's the God of peace. He's the God of the storm. And sometimes he knows that what we need to get back on track is a good storm to come into our lives. What we need to get back on track is sometimes for God to shake things up and Maybe you're in a season where nothing is working. The parts aren't fitting together. It doesn't seem like your hard effort and work is paying off. Well, isn't it time for you to say, God, what in the world are you up to? And isn't it time for you to begin to pray, Lord, how in the world would you have me to respond? This is what the sailors prayed. This is what it means to fear God. But notice the questions they asked him. 
In verse number eight, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Have you ever not wanted to tell people who you are? that you're a follower of Jesus or what your occupation is. Let me just tell you, being a pastor is hard some days. I remember being a young pastor and me and my wife were going grocery shopping. Uh, we were in a grocery store and I don't know what we were arguing over, but we were somewhere around the vegetable section and uh, we're having an argument over something. And the next thing you know, one of the members of our church at the time comes around the corner, Pastor Chris, is that you? And I felt like saying, absolutely not. I don't even know who Chris is. Sometimes you don't want to admit you're a rebellious prophet. Sometimes you don't want to admit that you're a Christian running from God. Sometimes you don't want to admit that. But Jonah was cornered and he had to answer the question. Look at how he answers the question. Verses 9 through 14 reveal a second characteristic that we'll talk about of the person who fears God. But look at Jonah. He says in verse number 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Ain't that something? Jonah has the nerve in all of his rebellion and all of his running from God to say, I am a Hebrew and I fear God. My friends, let me just tell you, we prove our faith, not just through our words, but through our actions. Jonah was a man who was giving God at that moment lip service. He had been trained the right way. He had gone through all of the theological training that his community had to offer. He, if he was in our day, he would have been a Sunday school kid, now grown up. He knew the right way to answer the question. Some of us have been so trained in churchisms that we know the right ways to answer the questions. But where is your heart at? And we'll know where your heart is at because your hands will follow. Jonah was not a man who feared God. How do we know? Because he thought he could get away from him. He thought that somehow there was a boat that was built that was strong enough, sturdy enough to get away from God. That there was a, a plane that was built that was advanced enough to get away from God. That there was some high-speed train I could get on to get away from God. There is no plane, no boat, no train that is built sturdy enough to get you away from the God who is Lord of heaven and earth. No matter how far you run, no matter where, where you go, if you are his, he will never let go of you. And how many thank God that he didn't let go of you when you let go of him? How many thank God that he doesn't stop loving you when you stop loving him? How many thank God that he holds on to us when we want to let go of him? As a parent of young children, I know what it's like for me to say to my child, baby, hold my hand. We're about to cross the street and they're trying to pull away. But what they don't realize is that my hand is bigger than their hand and I'm not letting go. In this moment, God has proven to Jonah, my hand is bigger than your hand, Jonah, and I'm not letting you go. And so after saying that he was a Hebrew and a worshiper of Yahweh, these pagan sailors who knew a little bit about who Yahweh was, verse number 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid. Why were they exceedingly afraid? It's because God's reputation precedes him and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that 
he was uh, fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them, he admitted to it. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now you read verse number 12 and you might be tempted if you're not careful to think that this shows some level of virtue in the heart of Jonah. I mean, after all, here he is saying to them, I know why the storm is happening. I'm in rebellion, so throw me overboard. That seems like, man, that's a high level of self-sacrifice. But before you get too impressed with him, notice what he didn't say. What he could have said is, I am rebelling against God. He wants me to preach the gospel in Nineveh. I don't really want to preach there, but that's ultimately what he wants me to do. Take me to Nineveh and this will stop. No, he didn't want to go back to the will of God. He didn't even want to go back to the point of his disobedience to repent. He could have even said, hey, take me back to Joppa because that's where everything went wrong. I need to go back to make it right with God so I can really move forward. He didn't say that either. He said, I'd rather die than go and preach the gospel. I'd rather die than obey God. I'd rather die than have to apologize to this person. I'd rather die than to stay in this covenant relationship that God has called me to. I'd rather die than be obedient. And some of us are dangerously on the verge of that. Choosing to suffer, our families to suffer, the people we're connected to to suffer, all because we don't want to obey God. There was another way. There was another way. Jonah could have easily said, he could have easily said, take me back so that I can be obedient. But verse number 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. I just want you to notice that these men are now praying, not in ignorance, they're praying in, in knowledge. They are informed now of of who this is that is the maker of heaven and earth. And so now they're praying to the Lord. They're praying to Yahweh. They're praying to the, the God of, of heaven and earth. But, but, but what I want you to see mostly is verse number 13. And this shows the fear of the Lord. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. A person who fears God calls on God in the midst of their struggle. People who fear God are people who call on God in their struggle. Here they are trying as hard as they can, getting nowhere, but yet they don't abandon their faith or trust or fear of God. My friend, as long as you and I live, there will be times where we, we will face things where we will try as hard as we can to fix them, and they won't be able to be fixed in spite of our best efforts. Have you ever been there before? 
trying as hard as you can to fix something and you can't fix it, if you are a parent, you've been there before. Maybe in your marriage, you have been there before. You have been in a situation where you have tried as hard as you can to try to fix it, but it's not working. They were professional sailors rowing as hard as they can, and they could not fix the problem. Maybe it's a bad season in business for you, and you know what it is to try as hard as you can to fix it, and it's just not working. I don't know what area of life this shows up for you, but I do know this, that the temptation in those moments is to simply curse God and die. It would have been easy for them to say, you know what, we've given our best effort, we have tried as hard as we can, this is unfixable, God, you must not be real, you must not be for us. But these men never gave up on the fact that God is omnibenevolent, that God is good. Notice what they say at the end of verse number uh, 14, that the Lord have done as it pleases him or as it pleased you, that God, you are good. This is working for your good. This is working for your glory. This is ultimately somehow going to work out. You see, this is the mercy of God revealed again and again in Jonah's life. God could have easily allowed Jonah to run in rebellion and suffer the consequences of it, but he brought a storm to get him back on track. And God could have easily allowed you and me to run from him and experience the consequences of it, but he loves us enough to bring storms into our lives, to bring us to our knees so that we might call out on him, call out to him. Well, Finishing out the chapter, last three verses, verses 15 through 17, we're going to see that uh, people who fear the Lord are people who respond to God with submissive worship. Look at verse number 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and, and three nights. And some of you may say, put it on your scientific cap, that is too hard for me to believe. Let me just tell you, if you can start with believing Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, this is just a footnote. This is easy to believe that God is the God of not only the heavens and the earth, but the sea as well. Next week, I'll bring you some scientific stories of men who have actually been swallowed by fish and lived to survive. This isn't as miraculous as we think it is, but it is God and it is his mercy to send this fish Because the sea could have easily destroyed him, but in God's mercy, he allows him to be swallowed up by something bigger than him in order to ultimately sustain him and get him back into the will of God. And so it is with us that in his mercy, there are times when he allows us to be swallowed up by circumstances and situations that are bigger than us in order to get us back to God's will. These men offered worship to God. They were exceedingly afraid. The fear of the Lord caused them to worship God. God is merciful. God is gracious. We celebrate that. He is loving. He is forgiving, but he is also holy. He is also the judge of of all humanity. And one day we will stand before him. And my advice to you is to fear him now. Don't fear the ones who can destroy the body. 
But fear the one who can destroy the body and cast the soul into hell. Fear the one who makes mountains quake. Fear the one who tells the sea how far it can go and no further. Fear the one who controls the winds and the waves. Fear the one before which angels bow. If you're going to fear anyone, don't fear kings or presidents or mere men. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day he will send a wrath that will be so all-consuming that every creature in heaven and earth will know that he is God and will worship him and declare it. But why wait? Worship him now like these sailors did. And there's something powerful happening in Jonah's life that Jonah isn't even sensitive enough to, uh, to pick up on. His willingness to sacrifice himself for these sailors in the midst of the storm points to a greater sacrifice that will come. Jonah's was for the wrong motives, but Jesus was going to come like a Jonah. He would sacrifice himself for those of us who are trapped in the storm of life so that we might find refuge in him. Jonah is a prototype that points to Jesus. And you say, well, how do you know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Last verse, Matthew Gospel, chapter 12. Listen to these words spoken by Jesus, verse 38. As the worship team prepares to come back to us. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, teacher, we wish to see a, a sign from you. This is verse 38 of chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel. Look at what he says in verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I mean, thank God that he didn't stay in the grave, but on that third day, he rose from the grave with all power in his hands. And he says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. If you are in need of salvation, if you have been running from God, today is the day for you to turn back to him. Everyone stand with me all over this church. Today, he pleads with us and he offers us a salvation that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us by his mercy and grace. What a great God he is. And if today you want to give your life to Jesus or come back to him after we are done here worshiping him, there'll be leaders here at the front to pray with you. And if you are watching online today, I encourage you to respond. Just simply type the word connect and we'll follow up with you. Well, how many today thank God for the blood, for his mercy, and for his grace? As our worship team leads us, let's praise God for he is worthy. And if we truly fear him, it will show up in our lives in worship. Give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.